Our text for this morning is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Ephesians 3, verse 16 and 17. We'll begin reading from verse 14 through verse 21. This also is God's holy word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. May we go to our God and ask for his blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our Lord God, we come before you and we acknowledge, Father, that you're the one who has spoken truth in your word. Father, we acknowledge that your word is like a mirror that shows us our sin. And Father, we pray and thanks that your word is never wrong. It is us that is in need of change. Father, we pray and thanks that your word promises us power, that your power comes from your Holy Spirit from Jesus dwelling in our hearts by faith. Father, we pray in thanks for your your love for us indeed is secure. It is promised by your covenant. And Father, we pray that you would strengthen your people, that the experience of your love would continually transform us. Father, we thank you for you show us your love so powerfully in sending your son to die on behalf of sinners, that he died the cruel death of the cross, the shameful death, the very death that we deserve deserve to die. We thank you for your provision for us. May we rejoice and give thanks to you always. And Father, we pray that if any are here who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray, Father, that you might do a mighty work of transformation. We pray, Father, that your Son, Jesus, would be exalted, that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Think for a moment about having guests in your home. You have all kinds of people come into your home for various reasons. Larry, the cable guy, comes over, right? You have people who knock on your door soliciting, even though you have a no soliciting sign on your porch. They still come thinking their product is the best. And you ask, uh, how far do they get, right? Maybe uh, they, they won't get past your, uh, your front door, the threshold of the front door. Or they, they may just get to your mudroom, right? And, and that's about as good as what they're trying to sell you, right? So, so here, then you think about those who you've invited in, right? You've invited them in. They're, they're in your living room and your dining room, and they, maybe they get to your, bath, your guest bathroom. That's about it. Wouldn't it be odd, though, that uh, you invite someone over, and you say, excuse me, I need to grab something from the basement. And you come back, and they're not in your living room anymore. You say, yeah, where do they go? So then you look upstairs, and you find them sleeping in your bed, right? 
And you wonder, hey, well, what's going on here, right? You, 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 pass, this, you pass this threshold of this, this isn't normal, right? This isn't normal. This isn't right. I want you to get out of my bed, right? Because I have to wash my sheets now. This is no good. And when you think about various guests in your home, right? And have you ever wondered regarding the home of your heart, Jesus, how far does he get in your home? You keep him in, at your mudroom and say, hey, you know what? You don't get any farther than this. Uh, I'm not letting you into my office where, where I make financial decisions and I write my checks. No, no, no. That's off limits to you. Oh, what about my entertainment room, my, my family room? No, no, you can't go in there either because that's my own business. And, and as far as my bedroom and, and my bathroom, hey, you, you, can't be, you can't be in there. You don't belong there. Right? This, is, this is a do not enter sign for you, Jesus. Or do we rather understand that with Jesus, he is the master. And that there's no part of our lives, there's no part of our home that we would say, you cannot enter. It's Jesus comes in. You have access. You have authority. You have a say. You have the say in every part of our lives. Here, we need to ask ourselves, how far does Jesus get in your home and in your life? If he's going to dwell in your hearts by faith, then every little crevice, all those little dust bunnies, we need to be watching out for. Here we think about this book of Ephesians. That presents our Lord Jesus as a glorious Savior. And it speaks about his beloved bride as the church. We have this mystery, this mystery that is made known to men. That here the Apostle Paul, he in Ephesians 3, he covers the transition. So Ephesians 1 and 2 speaks about the theology, about how all three persons of the Trinity are involved in your salvation, that they have a specific role, that there was the great plan of God the Father from eternity past, that our Lord Jesus is the one who came to lay his life down, the redemption by his blood, and then the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance that is in heaven. And then you see in chapter 2 that it's not merely a great plan. You know, we make great plans all the time. We make great plans every day. And, and at the end of the day, we realize that the plans were, were a little too idealistic. But Ephesians 2 speaks about salvation that is executed. That we were dead in trespasses and sins, and, and yet that, that didn't foul up God's plan. That, that Jesus is the Savior who saves. And if he didn't save, he'd be no Savior at all. In Ephesians chapter 3, this good news comes through a steward, through the apostle Paul, among others, among other apostles. And here, this good news, he finishes in Ephesians 3 with this, pr with this prayer beginning in verse 14, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father. So that this is an appropriate transition from the theology and doctrine of chapters 1 and 2 of Ephesians to the life and practice, the application in, in chapters 4 through 6. And right in between them, we have Ephesians 3, where the Apostle Paul is offering up prayer that, you know what, these great truths won't just remain things that, uh, that you recite every once in a while, think about a few times a year. No, that this Lord Jesus would enter your heart, that he would make a permanent dwelling in your heart by faith, and that it would have lasting effects, because then all the things that he says we ought to be doing in Ephesians 4 through 6, we're saying, yes, our master has spoken, and we will do. 
So the truth that we see in this passage, the basis of your spiritual strength is Christ dwelling within you by faith and your foundation in Christ's love. The basis of your spiritual strength is Christ, Christ dwelling within you by faith and your foundation in Christ's love. The first point is indwelt by Christ. Second, founded on Christ's love. So the first point, indwelt by Christ, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Here we, we have the presentation of the Apostle Paul. That in chapter 3, we have his prayer. That he bows his knee before the Father. That he comes to prayer realizing, you know what? These truths are going to have no effect on people who hear. This, these first generation Christians in Ephesus. And so also the first generation Christians here today or the 15th, 20th generation Christians that there will be no effect unless it is backed by the power of the Holy Spirit which comes through prayer. Here, he addresses this very matter of a relationship with Christ. That if, if Christianity is no more to you than holding to a set of truths that we pull out the Bible we read it a few times a year, or you read these church confessions once a week, then ultimately Christianity will, be, will have no effect, it will have very little meaning to you. That unless Jesus is dwelling in your heart by faith, unless he is the Lord of your life, unless you're delighting in the Lordship of Jesus Christ, that Christianity is meaningless. Here we see in the immediate context, in verse 16, that his prayer is that you would be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Here, when we think about the various ways that we can talk about this inner being and this inner strength, you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the indwelling spirit. So the spirit does his work. And then in verse 17 here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Those aren't two separate things. It's as if he's talking about the same thing in a different way. That the Holy Spirit, we're told, is, uh, is indwelling you. That you who are in Christ have in your bodies the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. That it's, a t that it's his temple. We have also this very idea of Christ dwelling in your hearts. That... The Apostle Paul could have used one of two words there to describe dwelling. One is a temporary, uh, a temporary dwelling. It's a, uh, a sojourn. For example, for, for adults, you often think of this, right? You, you, take your, you go on vacation with your family, and uh, halfway through, you're already thinking, when are we going to get home, right? This bed, I, I'm positive there's bed bugs like over, all over me, right? I, I want to get home. And, and the kids seem to love the place. Hey, can we stay here forever? It's like, no, no, we're not staying forever. And, and this idea of a permanent dwelling, that Jesus comes into your life, right? And you think about God's plan, God's desire, God's delight. Isaiah 46, 3 to 4. You who have been born by me from birth and have, carried, and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same, and even to your graying years, I will bear you. You think about what God desires. Hey, does, does he desire just to be a phase in our life? No. That uh, 
upon him we were cast from our birth, that God has been our God from our mother's womb. Even though we may not have confessed him yet, but he sees that our lives are precious to him, that beginning to end, from the cradle to the grave, from, from conception in, until eternity, that God says, this is, this is my domain in your life. Here we think about the various phases, phases of life, <clears throat> that, uh, that you were perhaps born into the church, or you started going at a young age. So you think about childhood, the patterns that have been set. Perhaps your parents took you to church faithfully. Then you think about youth. You have different desires in youth. Then if you choose to go off to get an education, oftentimes these transitions are where, where things drop off. Then, and you think about career life, and then marriage, and then family, retirement, <clears throat> and then assisted living, and then the grave. Right? So you, you look at these transitions. Some of you aren't there yet. I'm going to warn you, though, it's going to come really fast. Right? It's going to come really fast. Some of you don't think, hey, what's it going to be like? Later on, we, we, we're going to go to this uh, assisted living or this uh, retirement senior living home. Right? And you young people are going to look at them and say, what do I have in common with them? And the commonality is that uh, here God shows his faithfulness to the very young and to the very old also. Someday you will be there. Right? Someday you will be there. It happens even to the best of us. <clears throat> you think about these transitions. <clears throat> it's great to have uh, an excellent church. Here, I think about this wonderful pulpit that Wayne's, Wayne's brother made for us. It's a beautiful pulpit. <clears throat> but the pulpit is much smaller than the pulpit I preached in uh, two Sundays ago when I was there at Grace in Cincinnati. Think about how, how great a church it is that you have there. And the friends that you have, the friends that you saw at camp, that you got to spend the whole week with, it's great. And to have close friends who are in Christ, that, that is a blessing. And you think about these transitions, oftentimes, oh, you, you go up to college, you're part of this good college group, and, and then you, know, you, you, you go through a transition, and then somehow the group around you changes, and is it the case that Jesus somehow bounces out of the group, that your circle has changed and, and Jesus is lost in this transition. Hey, I had this great church, but then, hey, I wasn't able to settle with a good one when I moved away for a job. And, and then before you know it, it's like, hey, I'm not going to church anymore. Jesus gets lost in those transitions. But this is the very matter that we're raising. Is Jesus just a phase in your life? Or is he a permanent dwelling in your heart? Here, we have to ask, is Jesus only in your heart while the going is good? So this, this idea, no, no one would actually put it in these terms. But do we actually think it? Do we actually believe it? Jesus, you keep the blessings coming. You keep my business successful. You keep my, my net worth going up. And you keep my reputation stellar. And keep my health like that of a racehorse, even though I'm a couch potato. And then I will, I will keep serving you so long as those things keep going. And, and you think about, how, think about how many people, when, when those standards, those requirements start to fall apart, 
And those are the people who end up saying, you know what? I tried Jesus and it just didn't work for me. Well, if this is, this is what you think he's promised you, then I can understand why. So here you think about uh, the, the difficulties that come up in your life. The, the roadblocks that pop up. Right? The roadblocks popping up. And the, the dwelling in your heart is, is our Lord Jesus going to be handed this eviction notice uh, from your heart saying, hey, I, I believe in you because I'm not supposed to hit roadblocks, right? I, I'm not supposed to get a, a, a screw in my tire. I got a screw in my tire recently. Hey, hey, the screw in my tire. And I took it to Costco. They say, hey, it's on the shoulder. It can't be fixed. You need to buy two new tires. <laughs> and, and here, you know, you think about the, the, the difficulties that come up in life, right? Some of them are far worse than a screw in the tire, admittedly. I'm making light of that. They're difficult things that come up in life, right? Broken relationships, uh, bad diagnoses. But you realize that Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother. Are you going to give him that eviction notice? You know what? You haven't done, you haven't done what I wanted you to do. As uh, Janet Jackson would sing, what have you done for me lately, right? Hey, out, out you go, right? You think about these fair weather friends, right? Hey, when, when, all, the, when all the wealth is there, they, they come and they, they drink your wine, they, they eat your meat, right? And then somehow when you're not throwing parties, they never call you, right? Are those friends valuable? No, they're worthless, right? But Jesus is that friend that sticks closer than a brother, Think about Christ's intentions for you, for his dwelling with you. Jesus speaks about his dwelling with you so clearly in John 14, 23. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. This abode is the description of making a home. It's not setting up a tent that can blow away in the wind, that that uh, gets soaked in the rain. No, it's talking about a permanent dwelling. And the description here of one who keeps his word is a description of one who sub submits to Jesus Christ as Lord and Master, who has counted the cost and says, you know what? Since I followed, started following Jesus, these people no longer receive me. In fact, they mock me. They say all kinds of false things. Uh, and evil things about me. But you know what? That's a very small price to pay because Jesus, there is no replacement for you. There is no other hope of salvation but in Jesus Christ our Lord. Here, Jesus is one who requires from you an unconditional surrender. You think back to World War II. This is what the United States wanted with Japan. They wanted an unconditional surrender, which means you can't lay down conditions, right? So with Jesus, he, he offers the gospel. Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. And you think about the terms that Jesus gives. The terms are non-negotiable. So we, we cannot come to Jesus and say, you know what? There's certain conditions that I would like to see. You think about your, your a job offer, right? The offer is given. There's certain terms you can give, right? And, and they can decide, you know what? We'll accept that. And, and that one, no, no, no. You can't have 10 terms. 
Maybe have one or two at the most, right? With Jesus and the free offer of the gospel, there's no negotiation. He lays down the terms. Those terms are exceedingly good. And in fact, the terms can't be any better for you. That you believe upon him, that you trust in him. It's an unconditional surrender. That you think about Jesus passing through your home. Oh, here's someone who's welcomed me into their heart, right? Jesus starts walking through. Oh, no, 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 wait, wait a minute. You can't, you can't go in there, right? You think about having a guest in your home, right? Uh, you wouldn't want them to open your closet door lest the avalanche of junk that you, that you put away from your family room and your living room fall, falls on them, right? You wouldn't want that to happen. They might be injured by that. But Jesus, is he Lord of your life? Is he the Lord of your life in, in your family room regarding your entertainment choices? Uh, is he the Lord of your life in your living room regarding the, the friends that you keep, the company that you keep? And then your office regarding your occupation and how you run it. Your, your finances, right? You think about how Jesus uh, has certain requirements of us, that how we spend our money, that he has not only a say, he has the final say in that regard. Your bedroom, this belongs to Jesus too, who you will marry, the choices that you make, all these belong to Christ and must be brought into submission to our Lord Jesus. And, and the, world, the world doesn't like this term submission at all. Submission is for the inferior, for the weak. But who are you? What am I? Are we not those who are spiritually... We, we could not save ourselves, so we're, we're spiritually weak, right? And, and inferior, we're obviously inferior to our Lord Jesus, who is indeed is perfect. So when we clear that aside, submission, yes, it is for the weak, for the spiritually weak. And that is what you and I are. We think also about this role of faith in your life so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Faith, often spoken of in three parts, of knowledge, assent, and trust. And trust is often the one that really breaks down. Oh, yeah, there really is a Jesus. He really was a real person. He, he existed. He, he did come. He, he did live in this world 2,000 years ago. Do you believe he died on the cross? Yes. But do you believe he died for your sins? You mean I have to trust in that? Yes, you do. And you think about trust. It's, it's not in just these facts. It's, it's not these facts, these propositional truths, right? It, those are, are impersonal. Ultimately, trust is in a person. It's in a relationship. This Jesus Christ is a real person. That God is a personal God. Here we think about how powerless you and I are. Psalm 28, we read earlier, verse 7, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. Why is it, why is it that, that we come to failure often? We come to failure in life, in various things, because God is one who needs to show us to be weak. Because if, if we don't come to grips with our own sinfulness, our own weakness, our own insufficiency, 
if, if he always allowed us to think that we're doing well, then where would the need for Jesus Christ be? It's only when the difficulties come. It's only when there's shame. Hey, God, you promised that those who trust you will never be ashamed, right? No, no, they'll never be ashamed in certain ways. But if we're proud in ourselves, if we boasted, and, and then, then we have the, the after pride comes a fall, right? No, 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 that's for our good to realize that our strength is not in ourselves. Our, our strength is in, in the Lord Jesus, in the indwelling Holy Spirit, that ultimately he shows us weak. He shows himself strong. Here, when we think about faith, how do you make your decisions in life? Will it be based upon faith? That you and I are asking the question, what is the right thing to do? What what does God's word command of us? And we will do what is right, and then we will trust God with the outcome and the results. That is a decision based on faith. You know what? I'm not going to think about all the negative effects of my decision. We should be thinking what's right, and we leave all those other things to God because this is what it means to believe in, in God's power, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. This is what it means to believe that God is sovereign. Is You know what? We do what is right according to faith. We make decisions based on faith, not out of fear. Fear, fear brings in, well, what will the world think of us? Uh, what, will be, what will people be saying about us? How bad is it going to be if I, if I make this difficult decision? Here we read earlier in the Shorter Catechism, faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel. If we're going to believe Jesus for our salvation, for eternity, Certainly, we must trust him in the little things in life, correct? Here, this is the first point, indwelt by Christ. We have the second point, founded on Christ's love, in the second half of verse 17. That you being rooted and grounded in love. Here we have two descriptions about love. That you are rooted and grounded. The first is uh, in agricultural Description. The description is that God's people are like trees, right? Think about Psalm 1, that the, uh, the man uh, who submits to God and his, and his word is like a tree that is planted by a water course, right? That all that he does prospers. So God's love is the soil in which people grow. Here, we think about trees. I, I recall back in one of my previous homes, the neighbor behind us had this beautiful tree. And then there was this, uh, this rainstorm with all this wind, and that beautiful tree was laying horizontal, right? Well, what went wrong? We think about the purposes that the roots serve. The roots serve four purposes. The first one is, is the anchor, right? You have, was it the, the main root that goes down? It goes deep, and that gives stability to the tree. So what happened wrong was that the wind was blowing, and there was something wrong with that main root, that it was weak, and the tree blew over. And we have the root serves for absorbing water and minerals, nutrients. Third, it, it transports the water and the nutrients for the rest of the tree. And then fourth, it, it stores those nutrients. And any time any of those things go wrong, or they're not happening, 
then you're going to have a weak tree. A healthy root system means a healthy tree. So you look at, hey, why isn't this tree bearing, bearing fruit? Well, you need to think about the roots, right? We like to see fruit, but it's all in the roots. Is that, are we founded upon God's love? There's, there's also the matter of being grounded in love, description of a building. The foundation is key. A foolish man builds his house upon the what? The sand. The wise man builds his house upon the rock, that rock which is Christ. Here, we think about the leaning tower of Pisa. <coughs> and what went wrong there? In my recent reading, it has to do with the soil. That the soil foundation wasn't great. And it started to, 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 to turn, right? One part of it started to settle more than the other. And keep in mind, there were, there were years that, that went by. Uh, supposedly, in those parts of Italy, there were warring groups. And, oh, we started building this tower. We, we built like a few levels, but we got into a battle for a few decades, and we just kind of left it, and, and the thing started to lean, right? And they started making up for it by having, uh, you know, lopsided next floors, right? But the foundation was what was wrong. Christ is the only solid foundation for your life. If you try to build on anything else, it will fail. Christ alone is that solid rock in which you can trust. Here, we think about the necessity of Christ's love, being rooted and grounded in love. There seems to be a shortage of love in this world. Oftentimes, you meet people, young people especially, that uh, they are often growing up in homes that are broken, that there's strife, there's turmoil, there's violence, that homes that are damaged by addictions and drugs and the like. That you, you think about these children, it's like, have they actually experienced love in their life? Perhaps, perhaps in, in life it will be their coming to the gospel and entering the church that they get this first taste of what love is. Here, the world sees love as a feeling. This girl group, the Shirelles, they had this song, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Don't, don't think about the lyrics of the song. It's just, just that phrase. Do you, will you still love me tomorrow? That, that is the question the world asks. And God has a simple answer to that. That for God, love is not a feeling. That love is secured by covenant. It is secured by covenant. We think about what that security looks like. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14 and following. This is God's covenant with David. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Notice here, he doesn't say if he sins, if he commits iniquity, it's when. When he commits iniquity. There was a difference in how God dealt with Saul, that God's favor left him, that his, his line, his lineage, his rule came to an end. But it was different with David. That even though you think about, were David's sins any better than Saul's? It seemed like, if anything, they were worse, right? Adultery, then murder, right? Here, for Saul, hey, I, 
I, I, offered up, I offered up the sacrifice myself. I wasn't waiting for Samuel. And, and, and uh, then, then you look at, hey, we didn't want to destroy everything, so we kept Agag and, and the, the nice things of the Amalekites, the, 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 the sheep and, and the cows. So ultimately, it was disobedience, right? But you think about, was David's sin greater? I think so. It sure looks like it. But you look at what God promised David that there would be one who would occupy his throne forever. David's line, his kingship ultimately came to an end, but Jesus is that one who sits upon the throne, that he is the son of David that was promised. Here you think about the very proof of God's love, that God gives us such great proof of his love. In Ephesians 4, uh, sorry, Ephesians 2, verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It was motivation on God's part, his love for which he sent his son. But God demonstrates his own love to us in this. While we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't die for the very best. Christ died, in fact, for the very worst. And you ask, is Christ's death sufficient for you and for me? And the answer is, if Jesus' sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice, could not save, then he would be no savior. He would be a lousy savior. That he comes to save sinners. He freely offers himself. That he is calling you to trust in him. That you ask, well, wait a minute. I lack righteousness. We know that's a problem. You and I are sinners. But where is righteousness found? It's found in another. It's found in Jesus Christ and him alone. He alone is your hope for righteousness. The righteous requirements of the law that God has, it's met in Jesus. And he calls you, receive it, trust in him by faith, believe upon his promises. Well, how do we know that God's word is true? Because he says it is. Here, when you think about God's love, and the stability that brings to your life. There's all kinds of lies that come. The world tries to tell you, hey, how can you think for a moment that he would receive someone like you? The way that you lived in the past, your family, your family name, whatever it might be. Well, you realize those are all, those are all the horrific lies of Satan, right? That he comes with all these accusation and lies. He's calling into question the true promises of God. You realize that it doesn't matter who's accusing. When Jesus is your protector and your defender and your savior. Are you going to believe the lies of the world? Or are you going to believe the promises of God? Here we think about the effect of that love on his people. Those who have truly experienced God's love are going to be transformed by this love. You won't be the same. You cannot be the same. That you and I would be thinking, wow, we've never seen a love such as that. That a man lay down his life for his friends. We love because he first loved us. You ask, hey, are you a loving person? Well, how did you learn that love other than learning about Jesus and his work on behalf of sinners? Here, 
Think about the effect of this love. The effect of this love is that every time we hit that roadblock, every time we hit that bump in the road, are we asking that question, Jesus, do you still love me? And over time, you and I begin to stop asking that question when those roadblocks come up because we're saying, yes, God's love is sure. He has shown it in his son. May you trust in him. May you delight in this relationship that Jesus has begun for you. That our Lord Jesus is one who gives us the very best. That he does not leave us as orphans. He gives us his Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance in heaven. And that his promises are always sure. That he knew what was best of us. He's prepared us a place that we can trust. That upon our deathbed, that he will bring us safely to his heavenly kingdom. We go to our God together in prayer. Our almighty God, we thank you, Father, that you are the one who dwells permanently, that you dwell permanently in the hearts of your people. Father, we pray and thanks that it is by faith that we are washed clean, that you indeed are one who is good, that you promised us eternal life, and it's not by anything that we've done. Father, we pray and thanks for your love is sufficient for us, that your promises are sure. May we trust in our, Jesus, our, our Lord Jesus that he is a sufficient sacrifice for sinners. And Father, even as he is commanded, may we treasure him, may we delight in him, may we believe upon him, and may we obey him with all our hearts. We thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Please turn in your hymnals. We'll stand together. We'll sing 341, A Loss and Did My Savior Bleed. 341.